Welcome to RUF. It's great to have you all here uh, tonight. I've said this uh, once or twice, and I need to start saying it every week because I mean it. Um, RUF is is a place for the unconvinced and the convinced alike, uh, for the weary, for the new beginner, for the one who has no idea what they're doing, uh, for the confused, for the doubting. We want RUF to be a safe place for you to come and to examine the truth claims of Christianity. And the way that we go about examining those truth claims is to go uh, to his word. And this semester we've been um, working our way through the gospel of John. uh, And we're now focusing in on the I am statements of Jesus. Uh, And tonight we come uh, to the second explicit I am saying in John chapter 8. Where Jesus says that he is the light of the world. So if you would, read with me. We're going to be in John chapter 8. We're going to read verses 12 through 30 if you have your Bibles, or you can read along in your handouts as well. Let's read this together. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word tonight, we pray that you would speak to us. That you would speak to us the words of grace and mercy and the words of life. By the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what you think of when you think of Jesus as the light of the world. 
I don't know if this is true for you, but I think what immediately comes to me is maybe some positive thoughts. That, that, that's a very positive thing. I, I think we think of Jesus being the light of the world in, in positive terms. But if you think about it, if Jesus is the light of the world, and we've seen John, John in chapter 1 uh, brings this theme out um, right out of the gate. And, he, and, and for John, this theme of light is something he always goes back to. But if you think about it, if Jesus is the light of the world, if in him is the light of life, if the light of men is him, why do so many people not believe him? Why do so many people, why are so many people still blind to him? Uh, We're going to look at the second half of chapter 8 next week. By the end of this chapter, the people he's talking to want to take up weapons right there and put him to death. Just for the things, just for the words that he's saying. So if Jesus is the light, why is it that so many people are still in darkness? Remember John chapter 1, out of the gate, John said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world, yet the world did not know him. If he's the light, why did people not see him? And then John chapter 3 uh, after the famous um, John 3.16, John goes on this little um, exposition. He says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light. So the question is, have we misunderstood what it is that Jesus, have we misunderstood what it means that Jesus is the light? Or have we misunderstood maybe something about our condition? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you think about the term uh, when something comes to light, a lot of times that's not a very positive thing. I think about a story in the news right now, very fresh, a few days ago. Oscar Pistorius, right? This guy that was a sprinter in the Olympics, a South African who had his knees, uh, or had his, I think his, I don't know if he had him amputated or if he was born without legs below the knees. I can't remember. I should have looked that up. Uh, but he did not, he does not have legs below the knees and he ran in the Olympics with, uh, with prosthetics, And it was just this great feel-good story throughout the whole entire Olympics about how he had overcome all the odds to race on this global stage uh, with prosthetic legs. And then it comes out that allegedly there are a lot of skeletons in this man's closet and he... They allegedly have come all together and culminated in the murder of his girlfriend. Think about other things coming to light, other famous figures that we have esteemed for so long. Uh, Tiger Woods, man, did things fall apart for that guy quickly as soon as text messages and this and that and this and that came to light. But then there's the positive side of light. If you see the title I gave this uh, uh, sermon, um, we've got One Direction sings about light. It says, you light up my world like nobody else. And that's a good thing. You listen to the song, they're happy about that. So there's kind of this, uh, there's both sides of the coin, I guess, or both ends of the spectrum about talking about light. How do, we, how do we generally think about Christianity? How do we generally think about Jesus and those who follow him? I think we generally think about uh, Jesus and Christians. Christians are supposed to be those people who don't ruffle feathers, who love people who are um, maybe not, don't, you know, they don't push anybody's buttons Um, always have something nice to say. They always have it together. But we look at Jesus in this passage and he actually says some pretty harsh things. He's actually gonna tell these people next week that the reason they don't believe in him is because they're slaves of the devil. Sweet old baby Jesus right there for you. 
Why does Jesus say these things? Why does Jesus seem to not be pulling any punches? It's because he's the light of the world. That's why. That's what we're going to look at tonight. He's declaring himself to be the only real thing. So coming to him, being his follower, believing in him, it's not just about how you feel towards him. It's about coming out of darkness. It's seeing everything differently, and without it, it's to be utterly hopeless in life. So there's three, three things I just want to look at real quickly here about Jesus being the light. And the first thing that we see, I think, out of the gate, uh, verses 12 through 20, that the light is truth. The Pharisees out of the gate are questioning Jesus about what he is speaking and whether it is true or not. Um, The Pharisees respond to him claiming to be the light of the world by calling him a liar, basically. And they say it's because you're bearing witness about themselves. And they're actually using Jesus' own words against him because in John chapter 5, he said, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. He's talking about the way that they judge testimony. Testimony back then, if you had two or more witnesses, then something was credible. So they're saying that you're talking about yourself, so how do you expect us to believe you? And so Jesus answers this and he says, yeah, that's fine, but I don't need another witness. Because what I say is true. Why? How do we know that? You look at verse 14, he qualifies it saying, because I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. And then further down he says, uh, the, way that, the ways that you judge me, judge things, are completely different than the way that I judge things. The way that you see things is completely different from the way that I see things. Because he's saying, your judgment is in this world. My judgment is out of this world. It's more real. So maybe we're starting to get a hint here of how Jesus being is the light of the world, yet we're completely blind to it because what he's saying is there's something fundamental to our very nature, our very existence that blinds us to this light that he's bringing. So here's what I want you all to understand. This is fascinating to me. Where Jesus is when he starts talking about this. At the beginning of John chapter 7, we're told that him and his disciples have gone to Jerusalem to the temple for the Feast of Booths. Y'all got to wrap your mind around this feast. It's amazing. Um, It lasted a whole week. It was basically a big tailgate for a whole week. And what people would do is they would set up tents in their courtyard all over Jerusalem. And they would live out in these tents and eat and feast for the whole week. That sounds awesome. Maybe it's like Mardi Gras. I don't know. Um, but with tents, cross like tailgating and Mardi Gras, all, all these different things. Why would there be a yearly holiday where the people of Israel would gather in tents? We're told in Leviticus 23, this is the, the instructions to have this feast. Leviticus 23, all shall dwell in booths for seven days that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord their God. So this was a big commemoration. It was remembering yearly that time that their ancestors were out in the wilderness, living in tents, going from place to place to place. And every time they stopped, setting up this huge tent called the tabernacle where God's glory would come down and dwell, right? And when they were wandering, what did God do? He stayed with them. He protected them, he guided them, he provided for them. And most tangibly and most visibly, he did that in this pillar of cloud and fire, okay? Now during this week, get this, during this festival, 
Every single night at the temple, they set up these torches in these huge bowls with up to 65 liters of oil. And they would set these torches as high as the highest wall of the temple, which is some 75 feet, okay? Jerusalem is a city on a hill, okay? And then the temple would be the highest point in the city. So at the highest point in the city, every night of the week, you had these humongous torches shining light on the whole city. Clearly kind of hearkening back to God in the pillar of fire in the wilderness, So it is in that context that Jesus stands up. We're told he's in the treasury. That is the busiest part of the temple. A place where even if it was was daytime, you would see the smoldering wicks of the torches from the night before. Or if it was nighttime, you're getting the full brunt of the light. It is in that context that Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. What is he claiming? What is he claiming about himself? What is he claiming about us? Jesus is claiming that when the light of his truth comes in, you are going to see everything differently. If not for the pillar of fire in the wilderness, the Israelites would have been completely lost. They could not understand the world around them and they could not even, would have not even been able to see themselves if not for that pillar of fire. So when Jesus' truth comes into our life, we begin to see the truth of the world around us and we begin to see the truth of what's inside of us. There's something about being the daddy. Um, When something goes boom in the night, I'm usually the lucky one that gets to go figure out what it was um, if Carrie can get me to wake up, which is not always a guarantee. Um, And, you know, we have... All, and we're in a new house now, so it's even scarier. But um, this involves going upstairs for me. And there's like, we have enough toys for like five church nurseries for our three children. It's kind of embarrassing. Um, it doesn't matter how well, how cleaned up the house is. At night, when I am just an utter zombie trying to go upstairs and figure out who's crying or what's gone wrong, I am doing nothing more than fumbling in the darkness. I don't know how many of y'all have seen this TV show, Total Blackout. Uh, Stephen Urkel, uh, Jaleel White. How do I remember his name? That's embarrassing. Um, I think that's his name. Uh, he hosts this show where you, they, they send contestants into a room that is pitch, pitch black, but we get to watch it because it's like an infrared or whatever. Um, and people are just freaking out. And it's just a room and there's nothing really in it, but they can't see a thing. And so they are freaking out with every single step that they take. Why? Because they cannot see things as they really are. They're fumbling in the darkness. Jesus is telling us that without him, we are nothing but fumbling in the darkness. And some of us, I think, know this maybe better than you think. You just don't know how to quite make sense of some of the things that have happened to you in your life. You don't really, maybe honestly, don't know how to make sense of yourself. And you're stabbing at anything to shed a little light on it. When everything is dark, you cannot see reality. You cannot see things for what they really are. And Jesus is saying that when you find him, you finally see things as they really are, both within and without. You see the truth. He's saying that you no longer have to stumble in the darkness. Now, is that going to be easy? Is that going to be pretty? No. But you no longer have to stumble. You no longer have to be self-inflicting the pain. 
He says, outside of me, you're living in nothing but deception and darkness. That leads to the second thing here. Because Jesus is the light, he's also the judge. Okay, you look at verse 15, he says, I judge no one. Um, but we know who the judge on the last day is going to be. The New Testament speaks about it all the time. That's going to be Jesus. So he's not saying that he never judges. You look at verse 26. And he says he's got much to judge. And you remember after John 3.16, uh, John tells us, God did not send his son to condemn the world that it might be saved. So what is it about the light that makes him the judge? It's this. It's that when you come to him, all of you comes into the light. He reveals everything. He brings all things to light, and that means all things. And that perhaps, probably, is the most offensive part of Jesus. And we're all terrified of it. What were Adam and Eve, what was their first response when they fell in the garden but to hide, to clothe themselves, to cover up. It serves to assume that that is most likely our natural impulse every minute of the day, to cover up. We said that when when Jesus, um, as light, comes into our lives, we learn the truth of the world and the truth about ourselves. It's because all of it is laid bare before him. You can hear that Jesus accepts you as you are. You can hear that he forgives you. You can hear that all day long, but at the end of the day, just admit your biggest hold up to Jesus is that all of it is gonna be on the table. And you just don't know if you can stomach it because you just don't think he can. And Jesus is very straightforward in this, with this cold reality. You look at verse 21 or verse 24. He says, you can put this off for a time, but in the end it will be too late because you will die in your sins. In other words, he's saying, you will die in the darkness. Sweet old baby Jesus right there. Why is it, think about this, why is it do you think even the best of us get nervous in front of a crowd? Um, and maybe not like afraid, nervous, but anxious, nervous. To, you know, I, get, I feel like I'm going out for a football game every Wednesday night because I'm just getting geared up, right? Um, there's just something about being in front of a crowd. Why are some of our worst nightmares being naked in front of people, right? What is this phenomenon going on in all of our hearts where we fear being in front of people? It's because when you're in front of a crowd... That means that there are that many people that know more about you in that moment than you know yourself. Your fly could be down, a button could be misplaced, you could not be sucking in your gut the way you meant to, I don't know, that wasn't personal. Um, In other words, you're completely exposed and we all are terrified of that. None of us wants to be exposed. But at the end of the day, there's something that we all know about this Jesus, that there is not one thing hidden from him. Coming to him means bringing every single bit of ourselves. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. 
in Hebrews chapter 4. He says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Be honest. Some of you, that terrifies you. And it's actually even weird. It gets weirder. The next thing the author of Hebrews says, he says, therefore, let us draw near. What? You know, you've, maybe you've, you know, you've heard about grace. You've heard about mercy. You've heard about forgiveness. But you still look deep down and you think to yourself, there is no way he can deal with all of this. He will One, because he's going to expose it all. And he exposes it all so he can get his hands on it. Others of you, maybe you've never thought about this before. And at the very least, this should tell you, Jesus is not your buddy. He didn't come to tap you on the behind and tell you to get going. He came to get all of you. Maybe even burn a hole through you. How in the world can we face this light? What's the third thing, third and final thing here? Because he's the light, he's our salvation. Because he's the light, he's our salvation. Uh, King David, the psalmist, he equates the two, light and salvation in Psalm 27. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? He equates both of those there. How does Jesus equate the two here? He does it in verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know I am. The literal words there in verse 28, he says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know I am. What's he talking about? He's talking about the crucifixion. We've seen this before. Do you see the grand irony there? Jesus is pointing forward to the darkest moment in all of human history, so dark that creation itself went dark that day. He points at that and says that in that darkest moment will shine forth the greatest light this world has ever seen. What is it? Salvation for sinners like you and me. Then you will know that I am. What Jesus is saying is that only when you know the light of the cross will you know me. Only by the power of the cross can light truly shine in the darkness. You don't need my niceness. You don't need my rules. You don't need my teaching. You need me hanging on a cross. You need me bearing everything that you don't want to be exposed and I will be fully exposed with all of it resting on my shoulders in that day. You need to know Jesus on the cross. You need Jesus on the cross. You need to be able to admit your darkness and you need to know that it was swallowed up at Calvary once and for all. You look at verse 29. 
Jesus says something interesting. He says, I know that he has not left me because I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I know that he has not left me because I always do the things that are pleasing him. Our greatest fear is that his light will only serve to show how far I fall short. That his light will only serve to show me the things that I'm not doing. But the thing Jesus is saying is that it does the exact opposite. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 2. He says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him, seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus here is saying that he enjoys the constant presence and approval of his father. That is how he knows who he is. Do you see what the cross does? It secures those very same things for you now and into forever. Both of them. You look at verse 30. And we're told that many believed that day. No wonder. The light was shining. How in the world is this light going to shine? And how in the world am I going to be able to bear it? Paul, again in 2 Corinthians 4, says it like this. For God, who said in the beginning, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but what is that going to expose? More than how weak and wounded I am. You know what the next thing Paul says? He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. If you have treasure... You don't put it in jars of clay. This God does. And he knew exactly what he was putting it in. Let the light shine. Let the light pour over you. Let it pierce you. Why? Because only when it pierces the darkness does it begin to heal that same darkness. It's exactly why he came. Not to just lay it open for you to to grovel in it but that he could swallow it up in his own body. That he would be the cursed one hanging on a tree and in that dark moment, a light would shine forth like none has ever seen. He's the light of the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we would ask tonight that you would shine Father, that you would shine in this place, that you would shine in our hearts, that you would pierce through our darkness, that we would admit that we are fumbling, that we are weak, we are wounded, we are wandering, but you have guided, 
protected, provided, and stayed us. And we lean and cling to you, our light, our hope, our strength, and our salvation. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.